It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Kennedy. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Harris Faulkner. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, April 4th, 2022. I'm Mike Emanuel. Republican lawmakers put CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky on the hot seat, asking why the Centers for Disease Control provided special treatment to the teachers' unions during COVID. The White House and the Biden administration will work in overtime to appease union bosses at the expense of millions of children across the country. I'm Chris Foster. Ken Burns has a new documentary out, this time exploring the life and work of Ben Franklin. You watch this as a founding father who's accessible. He's static. He's into self-improvement. He's in pursuit of happiness in a more perfect self as well as a more perfect union. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Prominent Republican lawmakers say teachers unions had too much influence on the Centers for Disease Control's decisions during the COVID-19 pandemic. Critics argue the White House was giving special treatment to teachers unions at the expense of American children who were not allowed to return to the classroom. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky was on the hot seat on Capitol Hill defending her agency's working with teachers unions on reopening schools last year. We needed to get our schools open. We, in that context, engaged, as we often do, with organizations and groups that are impacted by our guidance and our recommendations at the agency. Outside of the U.S., a dominant disaster is still brewing overseas, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Ukrainians say Russian forces have been guilty of war crimes, so much so that the Ukrainian foreign minister is calling the massacre in a Kiev suburb the most outrageous atrocity of the 21st century making ceasefire talks with the Russians even more challenging. We are stopping them on the battleground, but we also have to stop them diplomatically and make Putin change his mind. So we are working on this meeting, but it's getting more and more difficult to actually, you know, speak to the Russians, but we have to. To stay strong against international turmoil, President Biden made funding national defense and security a priority in his 2023 budget blueprint, leaving the president facing backlash from the progressive left of his own party. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby says the commander-in-chief is wise to invest in national defense. The actions of uh, Mr. Putin and the Kremlin uh, and Russian forces speak for themselves. Um, And it would have been irresponsible for us not to address the Russia problem uh, and the Russia threat uh, in our national defense strategy. Back to the top story to start the week with news that shocked many parents across America. The CDC prioritizing teachers unions over children. We learned some alarming things. The first is that the CDC gave the union bosses exclusive and pretty much unprecedented ability to rewrite a scientific document. Steve Scalise is the House Republican whip representing Louisiana. Because this was going on when the unions were trying to keep schools shut down and they were trying to keep CDC from giving guidance that would lead to opening more schools. And look, this was also going on when many of the top medical scientists were pointing out all the damage being done to kids by shutting schools down. 
you know, we're talking about millions of kids who are being denied not only learning opportunities, but they were starting to have severe mental health problems because schools were shut down and the science didn't back up keeping the schools. And so they were coming out with the report and the CDC director had uncovered some emails between the CDC and the union bosses where the unions were saying, well, we're a little bit concerned about this language. We want to give you some new language that you could put in the document to keep schools closed longer. And the CDC literally took them almost word for word, changed the document to change it to what the unions wanted to keep schools closed and then submitted it. And this happened days before the document went public. No other group from what we've been able to find out got this kind of access. And I even asked, were you given access to parent groups? Because parents were out there going to school board meetings saying, let my kid back in school. And you had the Justice Department trying to call them domestic terrorists. So they're attacking the parents while they're giving the union secretly this exclusive access to a medical document before it came out and let the unions change the science to achieve what the unions wanted, and that was keeping schools closed longer at the expense, dramatically, of our young kids. Is it your view that the White House said to the CDC, hey, you need to keep the unions apprised of what you're doing, or you need to be on the same page with our teachers' union colleagues? Well, there's no doubt we saw a lot of interference by the White House with the science trying to appease the teachers' unions. You know, you saw it when the unions were coordinating with the White House to get the Justice Department to go after parents. You saw those documents where, you know, the unions were saying, well, you got these parents showing up at school board meetings and it's disrupting things, you know, it's dangerous, you got to go after them. And lo and behold, justice says, oh, these parents must be domestic terrorists. Uh, and parents went livid all across the spectrum. We saw this happening in some of the most liberal, moderate, and conservative parts of our country where people were showing up in record numbers at school board meetings, rightfully so, standing up for their kids. And there you had the White House standing with the union bosses against the kids. And they did it again here with the CDC guidance. There is no doubt the White House had to have direct involvement. We're going to keep pushing for these answers. But just what we've uncovered already is pretty alarming and shows that the White House and the Biden administration were working overtime to appease union bosses at the expense of millions of children across the country who were denied learning opportunity in the classroom when all the science said they should have been in the classroom. To the topic that so many Americans are following right now overseas, obviously the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And Ukraine has provided documents alleging atrocities by Russian troops in Kiev suburbs. Your concerns about what we're hearing and seeing from the battlefield right now? I, I think Putin is committing genocide. There's no doubt what he's doing would meet the definition of a war criminal. And Zelensky's been so heroic in galvanizing not only the people of Ukraine, but the world to say, look at this country standing up to Putin and his massive army. And all he's asking for is some basic help, not troops, but some basic tools. For whatever reason, the Biden administration still won't give him some of those things that he's been asking for for over a month now. It's mind boggling. You know, when you look at just a few months ago in Afghanistan, Within a day, Biden turned over $85 billion of the world's best military technology to the Taliban, and he spent nearly two months without being able to figure out how to get some basic help to Zelensky and the people of Ukraine. It's crushing because Zelensky could be doing even more to help protect people in some of these communities where 
you see carpet bombing and on the ground war crimes going on by Putin. The head of Ukraine's delegation in talks with Russia said Moscow's negotiators informally agreed to most of a draft proposal discussed during face-to-face talks in Istanbul this week, but there's been no written confirmation provided. Are you hopeful talks will produce a result, a ceasefire at some point? I'm hopeful that these talks will produce something real in terms of a ceasefire, but every day that goes by, more innocent civilians are being killed in Ukraine and more of that country is being devastated because Putin, number one, completely miscalculated the strength and perseverance of the people of Ukraine. And Putin, I think, seeing that is now just deciding he's going to just destroy so many parts of Ukraine. And so every day that goes by does more and more long-term damage to the country. But hopefully they finally do get to a ceasefire because I think Putin is realizing they're not going to just sit by and turn the country over. They're going to fight for their country. And we need to give them everything they need to do that. To a domestic issue, uh, the president's budget, it's always dead on arrival when it gets to Capitol Hill because lawmakers take great pride and like the power of the purse and the ability to dole out funds for a lot of priorities. Uh, the president's getting some heat from progressive groups over his spending priorities. One number jumping out to the progressives, $813 billion. That's how much President Biden's calling to spend on national defense in the U.S. in the coming fiscal year. Your thoughts on the president's budget blueprint and that criticism from his left? Well, the left has always wanted to weaken our national defense, but the criticism you're hearing, not just amongst conservatives, but even amongst people like Joe Manchin, are the massive taxes and spending on more build back better, big government socialism type programs. And just go look, Mike, at you know the tone deafness of Joe Biden in the midst of the highest oil prices we've ever seen. And Joe Biden proposes $45 billion new taxes on oil and gas, meaning you're going to have to pay more at the pump if Joe Biden got his way, which hopefully he will not get any of this passed. But it just shows you they keep doubling down on this idea that America wants to shut off American energy production. Well, Biden is begging people like Putin and world leaders and other dictators in Venezuela and Iran to produce more oil. How about we make more oil here and lower the price of gasoline? Stop increasing the cost, shutting down supply, and then going and raising in your budget more taxes on oil and gas, which is crushing low-income families. President's calling for a 4% increase in defense spending, so he's taking heat from the left for that. But there are some, I'm sure, on the conservative side of the aisle who are saying, hey, we got trouble between Russia and Ukraine. There's China's got its bad intentions, Iran, North Korea. Maybe the president should be boosting the defense spending even higher than 4%. Your thoughts on that? Well, with inflation, you need to make sure that you're properly funding a strong national defense. And so, you know, it is a basic responsibility and requirement under the Constitution to provide for the defense of the country. So the president needs to make sure that he's properly funding our military, but he also needs to be securing our border at home. And the dropping of Title 42 is a major concern that's going to lead to even more illegal immigration at our southern border, and that's part of national security because we're seeing over 160 countries representing and coming across our border illegally, including people that have already been detained who are on the terrorist watch list. So President Biden's failure to protect our southern border, including his recent dropping of Title 42, which is gonna be another magnet for more people coming across illegally, is one of the biggest threats 
to our national security here at home right now. I realize uh, seven months from now, the entire House of Representatives is on the ballot. The balance of power is up for grabs. Seven months out, your thoughts on which of these issues will be dominant for American voters when they're thinking about who they want representing them in Congress? Mike, there are a lot of issues that are going to be front and center with voters, but inflation is the number one issue by far because people, uh, it's, it's a huge, huge kick to the gut of working families when they're going to the grocery store paying 10, 15, or 20% more for things that they need to feed their families when they're paying over 70% more now for gasoline. Uh, you know, and look, gasoline, it's a recurring, you know, maybe once a week you go to fill your car so you can go to work and you're paying what used to cause maybe $70 cost almost $200 to fill your tank. Uh, and that's something that takes money out of the pockets of families right away. But I think also things like border security, even parental involvement in their kids' education, when you see what liberals did to shut down schools in so many places, and then defund the police, and they're continuing it now with no bail and not even charging people with crimes in so many cities. Crime is out of control. That's becoming a major issue, too. The House Republican whip, Steve Scalise of the great state of Louisiana. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Safe travels and have a great week. Mike, always great being back with you. God bless. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. Long before he was one of America's founding fathers, Ben Franklin was a writer, successful publisher, and then a successful inventor, already famous before the revolution against the British. He was 70 when he signed the Declaration of Independence, then went off to France to help convince the French to take our side in the war, writing to his daughter about his fame there. Dear Sally, the clay medallion of me was the first of the kind made in France, and the numbers sold are incredible. These, with the pictures, busts, and prints, of which copies upon copies are spread everywhere, have made your father's face as well known as that of the moon. That's from a new documentary on PBS, written by Dayton Duncan, produced by David Schmidt, and produced by Ken Burns, the filmmaker who's brought us dozens of American history documentaries like the Civil War, the Vietnam War, jazz, country music, and baseball. Ben Franklin is the most interesting of all the founding fathers, and it, you could argue that he is the most important. Ben Franklin premieres tonight, April 4th, on PBS, with part two airing tomorrow. It'll also be streaming on the PBS video app and website. You know, he becomes a revolutionary when he's 69 years old, with only 15 more years uh, left in his life. He's already the most famous American on Earth. He is the best American writer of the 18th century. He's the first American humorist. He's a successful businessman, a printer, a publisher, uh, a newspaper man. He's a, a world-class scientist, the greatest scientist of the 18th century, having discovered the properties of a electricity. He's an inventor. Uh, so many uh, variety of different things, including the lightning rod out of his experiments. And he um, recruited to help edit the Thomas Jefferson's declaration, which he does magnificently, making a slight change. Jefferson says, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. He says, no, this is the age of enlightenment. We hold these truths to be self-evident. <laughs> 
And then he's dispatched to France because he's the most famous American on earth. And he negotiates the two treaties with the French, which are responsible for us beating the largest military power on earth. He comes back and negotiates the complicated and in some cases tragic compromises that created the um, the the Constitution of the United States. He's also uh, when he's successful, he has uh, enslaved people in his household. He starts a school for black kids, discovered they're equally apt at learning as white kids. And uh, by the end of his life, he's he's the head of an abolitionist, a very early abolitionist society in Pennsylvania and proposes to the United States Congress this invention of his uh, the first resolution abolishing slavery. It, It is ignored by the Senate and doesn't pass in the House and causes all sorts of furor, but you watch this as a founding father who's accessible. He's static. He's into self-improvement. He's in pursuit of happiness in a more perfect self, as well as a more perfect union. I mean, you can't get anything better than than Benjamin Franklin. And he's funny. He's yeah. winking at us. I mean, one angle here that you've alluded to, maybe a through line of, of this documentary, is that he was always evolving. And, you know, admittedly so. He was a loyalist. Then he was a revolutionary. He owned slaves. And then he became an abolitionist. And he was very self-aware, I guess, right? Yes, very much so. I'd say self-aware is it. It's Socratic. Know thyself. You know, the command, know yourself. And, and everybody else is sort of content with themselves, particularly in this day and age. Everybody is certain. And I think the great thing about... Franklin is he understood that the opposite of faith is is not doubt it's certainty certainty kills faith faith requires doubt in order to go wherever that faith manifests itself in science and reason and of course in our spiritual lives um, it's challenging I assume to take on a very very well-known and well-researched person or subject I mean is the goal to come at it from different angles if you're not necessarily going to come up with any new details yeah, I think it's to aggregate. It's you know, it's it's it, you know, the, the novelist Richard Powers said that the greatest arguments in the world won't change a single person's point of view. The only thing that can do that is a good story. And I want to tell a good story. That's it. And a good story means you have people who are even familiar with Franklin who say, "Wow, I didn't know that." And for the rest of us who maybe think that the lightning has to strike the kite, <laughs> it doesn't. Um, and in fact, that would be detrimental to the experiment. Um, you are are suddenly overwhelmed with a tsunami of stuff. And because I got Mandy Patinkin to read the voice of Franklin off camera, and he is such a master that what happens is you feel like you know him. And I've caught myself in interviews saying, I really like him, or, uh, you know, I, I've only known him for a few years. And, and the reporter always <laughs> stops me and says, wait a second. But that's what it is. And I want to transfer the familiarity we gained in the process of this deep dive um, to my audience so that they themselves go, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, we all know the, the paintings of the, you know, the flying of the kite with the key on it to experiment with lightning and electricity. Like you said, it didn't happen exactly like that, but he did do those kinds of experiments. I didn't know he also studied ocean currents. I knew he invented bifocal glasses. I'm not sure how that came about. Explain the Franklin stove. So the Franklin stove, the German immigrants had had come with a rudimentary stove. You know, a fireplace is super inefficient. Most of the heat goes up the chimney. There's a little bit of reflected back, depending on the nature of the hearth, but mostly it's inefficient. So if a stove is an attempt to radiate the warmth out into the house. And so he essentially did a series of improvements on uh, uh, the stove German immigrants ring, which was hugely successful. But let's remember, you know, there's a there's an important thing to remember about that we always forget about Benjamin 
Benjamin Franklin, he is exalted by every generation, including the ones that were alive when he was alive, for his pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it on your own, self-reliance, that sort of stuff. And he is. He's on our $100 bill, the largest bill in sort of general circulation, and everybody wants more Benjamins. But he always tethered this to civic responsibility. He always saw that there was an exquisite tension between individual freedom, what I want, and collective freedom, what I need. He died in the commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So all of his inventions he held without patent. Yeah. It's it's remarkable. It's unbelievable. He could have been a hundred times more wealthy, but he didn't care to do that. He wished to plow it back into us. And by us, I mean that two letter lowercase plural pronoun, but also the U.S. And it's a magnificent creation. His best invention may either be himself or the United States of America. Yeah, that the the fact that he didn't patent anything was was also new to me from this documentary. And uh just the selflessness of it and the 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 broad-mindedness of it. Um, and he was not from a wealthy family, right? I mean, was that common among the no. founding fathers? Yeah, no, he comes from very modest, lower middle class family of candle makers. They want to send him to Harvard, which means he's got to go to school. They can only afford two years of school. And it's a really great moment. Two things happened at that moment. First of all, with only two years of school, as the scholar H.W. Brand says in her film, he doesn't know what he doesn't need to know. So he decides he has to know everything. And so he's omnisciently uh, curious and, and a great reader. And then he apprentices himself. He's an indentured servant, one step short of a slave to his brother, James, his older brother, who's got a print shop. Glory, hallelujah for the rest of us. He's setting type upside down and backwards. He's hyper literate. He's reading. He's funny at 15. He is slipping manuscripts under the door under a different name, a widowed woman named Silence Duguid that are, is the rage of Boston. Everybody loves it. And when James finds out it's his baby brother, they come to blows and, and, and uh, Franklin runs away to Philadelphia. Another lucky thing, less Puritan, more tolerant. Um, he, he, takes up the printing interest again and it's 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 really um you know it's history uh, from then on it's but it's immense interesting that we hold him up because he has raised himself up but i think we forget to see that it was always tethered to civic good, that he was always interested, even as a young tradesman, in getting together with other tradesmen, a, a sturdy middle class that would discuss big ideas. They weren't, you know, the, they weren't going to be like the elitists. They wanted to share the big ideas of the world with themselves, discussions. They start libraries, philosophical societies, what ends up to be the University of Pennsylvania, hospitals, uh, police forces, uh, volunteer fire departments, and civic improvements of every kind. And that is always part and parcel with his own desire to learn more about himself, to govern his passions, to try to be a better person, to learn humility. All of these things are uh, incredibly admirable about him. And yet he comes to us with lots of flaws and uh, it makes him as accessible to us. He's, he's available. He's not static like Washington. They're not statues. You feel like Franklin's moving. I feel like I know him, like he's a friend. Ken, one more question. You obviously don't have any film or video or photos to work with. Most of your documentaries you have. There's been a few that you have, and I guess Lewis and Clark and maybe one or two others. But of course, you do the thing where you move around paintings to give the illusion of some variety, and it really it really does work. Are these all original historic paintings in this, or do you commission anything for projects like this? But we never did commission anything. We did find a wonderful set of woodcuts, I think from the 30s, uh, a, a New Deal WPA works project that 
that detailed every part of his life. He doesn't have his first portrait painted in his lifetime until his 40s. The key to this is that we treat our, our paintings and our drawings as if they're live. That is to say, you know, we're feature filmmakers with a wide, a medium, a close shot. And we treat our live cinematography, which we did in Paris, which we did in London, which we did in Philadelphia and Boston, et cetera, as if they're paintings, right? So that, you know, in this case, you're recalibrating. We don't have pictures and we don't have footage, but you just mean you spend more time with the other things, the live and the the, the impressionistic live and, and the drawings and the graphics. And you want to get down with the print and bring out uh, uh, the the writing, the handwriting, the details of, of words, even letters. And that helps bring it alive. And it, it's been great that we worked really hard. The editor, Craig, Bellish did an extraordinary job. So did the people finding the grist for the mill and, and the scholars help it. And, and I think the, the aggregate is that you, f- you don't feel like you're imprisoned by an absence of image. You just feel like, you know, we, we, we work with what we had and did the best job we could do. That is a really cool trick that to keep the actual what could be moving images that you use. Well, they are moving images, but if you keep them still, still it increases yep. the illusion of movement for everything else. Yes, exactly. And, and, and it's a, it's an, I've been doing that since, you know, for 45 years and, and I, and I'm freely, and it's not no secrets. It's just freely how you do it. You'd like to have photographs, but I'm now embarked on a big series on the history of the American revolution, which means it's sort of Franklin times three or four. And um, that's going to be, you know, not held together by a single personality. We're going to have to figure out how you change personalities and focuses and, and, and things like that. It's, it, it, it offers, uh, even more uh, challenges than than Franklin, but it's exciting to be able to try to bring back stories that have sort of been encrusted with the barnacles of sentimentality and nostalgia, or our sanitized Madison Avenue views of our past, and that serves nobody. Ken Burns, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Great to be on. a look at the week ahead. Monday. The Senate Judiciary Committee will vote on whether to recommend the full Senate confirm Supreme Court nominee Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. The committee could end up with an 11 to 11 vote, needing a procedural move to advance the nomination to the full Senate. President Biden's first high court pick is expected to be confirmed when the Senate votes later in the week. Wednesday. An FDA advisory panel begins a virtual meeting on future COVID-19 booster shots and the process for selecting strains to develop future vaccines for current and emerging variants. Last week, federal health officials approved a second booster shot of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines for those 50 and older and the immunocompromised. Thursday. It's opening day for Major League Baseball. This year's first pitch was delayed by a week because of a lockout. 18 of the league's 30 teams kick off the season on Thursday. The remaining teams begin play on Friday. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News.
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? Today's far-left extremists are unabashedly undoing the monumental achievements of all of America's civil rights movements. For those of us who identify with those legacy civil rights events, what we're seeing from today's Democrats and malignant left is shocking and unacceptable. We are watching unfold in front of us like a slow-speed train wreck, the destruction of 100 years of Americans working for and demanding genuine civil rights and equality for the disenfranchised, people of color, women, and homosexuals. We believe in the American dream, and we know its reality relies on every American being able to participate in this magnificent experiment of freedom and self-government. Yet, today's so-called progressives, they're actually Marxists, desire, advocate, and teach open racism. They advocate and promote the erasure of the very concept of what it means to be a woman. And after decades of the ignorant accusing gay men and lesbians of being interested only in sexualizing children, the far left is openly arguing the same thing by insisting Florida's parental rights and education law, ending sexualized instruction and ensuring parental rights for little five to eight year olds in public schools is somehow an anti-gay plot. The law has nothing to do with homosexuality, but the malignant narcissists on the left, they couldn't help but make it about them. This explains so much about the destructive and inexplicable Democrat agenda. First, Democrats and their allies fabricated a slogan to cast the bill as the don't say gay bill, and the compliant media went to town. The lie became the point. Now, this frenzy on the left has exposed an iconic American institution, Disney, as having fallen deep into the leftist rabbit hole of wokeism. Disney has been a great company and for generations has been a significant part of American history, entertainment, and childhood. This is a company worth saving, but in order to do so, we must face what's happening as well. In the midst of the artificial gay outrage over the Florida law, Christopher Rufo, an investigative reporter who has made his name exposing the extent of critical race theory in schools and corporations, revealed he had obtained a video of an internal Disney meeting about the issue. The Federalist reported on the Rufo scoop, quote, in another leaked Disney call, activism partner Nadine Smith parroted wild conspiracy theories about the Florida law. We're reacting from the reality of that, that when they can demonize who you are, the next step is to criminalize you and take your kids, she said. Well, this is a perfect example of malignant narcissism and projection. For these particular leaders at Disney, this is the main problem plaguing the entire left, manifesting in actions and policy that is destructive, unthinking, that no one wants, and is being rightly rejected by parents and Americans in general everywhere. The gay left also argues that teachers not being able to discuss their gay personal lives with children they teach erases them. Oh, come on now. Firstly, the Florida law is about instruction, not conversations. But we don't condone speaking with children about many things, including sex. Journalist and author Abigail Schreier put it perfectly on Twitter, quote, There's a lot of things teachers shouldn't discuss with K through third grade kids. It doesn't erase the existence of those things. It just means schools shouldn't introduce them to young children. Ask your parents about that is a good answer. 
What a concept. Again, not everything is about us. Sometimes it is about what's best for children. It is equally imperative that every person in this country, especially parents, should know that supporting the Florida bill does not make you a homophobe. It is time we say and demand, hands off, politically and otherwise, let children be children. I'm Tammy Bruce. My show, Get Tammy Bruce, is on Fox Nation, and my weekly column can be found at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.